Let us pray. Holy Spirit, be with us in our desert places. Speak to us comfort and peace. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, maybe you've heard this from me before, but this story today from 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, Elijah on the run in the wilderness, is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. In fact, as I looked back at my past sermons, remember I haven't been doing this all that long, I realized that this will be the sixth time I've preached on this passage and the fourth time I've done it here in this uh, sanctuary. So if some of this sounds familiar, you'll know why. So let's situate ourselves. Let's, let's see where we're at. So last week we heard about King Solomon. King Solomon building the temple uh, of God. This is David's son. He was also the last king of uh, Israel when it was a united nation, when all the tribes of Israel had one ruler over them. And as I mentioned last week, uh, the peace that allowed Solomon to build God's temple during his reign, well, that peace doesn't extend beyond him. It doesn't make it to the next generation because immediately after Solomon's death, the tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel or of northern Israel, it's not yet the northern kingdom, they come to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and they demand that he ease back on the heavy labor and taxes that King Solomon had imposed on all of the nation in order to build his palace and, of course, the temple. Well, first, Rehoboam receives these messengers, and he asks for some time to think about it, and he goes and he consults his father's advisors, and they advise him, wisely, to do for the people what they're asking. He's, they say, if you give in to the demands of these people, they will be your servants forever. But Rehoboam is not uh, happy with this advice. So he goes to his friends, the ones that he had grown up with, and they tell him, well, he has to establish himself to be strong before these people to make things even harder on them so that they'll respect him. So Rehoboam has these two pieces of, of advice uh, at hand, and young and macho, he chooses that of his friends. And so he responds to these representatives from the northern tribes. He says, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, he says. I will discipline you with scorpions. Well, as you might imagine, this does not go over well. The northern tribes declare themselves independent. They withdraw their support from this monarchy, and they form their own nation with their own king. And from that time on, the Hebrews are divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom known as Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah. Judah is ruled by the descendants of David, and its capital is Jerusalem. Israel is ruled by various dynasties, with its capital eventually being located in the city of Samaria. Well, our story today takes place about 50 years after this has happened. And Ahab is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, although his wife, the queen, Jezebel, is really the power behind the throne. Now, the Israelites have always had a problem with idolatry. They've always had this problem of worshiping the false gods of the people around them, but this was exceptionally bad in the northern kingdom and especially at this time. You see, Queen Jezebel, who herself was not an Israelite, was a devotee of the god Baal and the goddess Asherah. And so she funded and supported the worship of these idols, uh, providing for 450 prophets of Baal and 400. 
hundred prophets of Asherah. And against this royally sanctioned idolatry stood God's prophet, Elijah, who we hear about today. And for the past four years or so before our reading, Elijah has been God's agent in a sort of competition, a contest between Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Elijah, and Baal, this storm god who is worshipped by Jezebel. Well, it starts when Elijah uh, announced a years-long drought, and he does this to show that it is not Baal who controls the rain, but Yahweh, the God of Israel. And it ended this contest immediately before our reading, when Elijah challenged all of the prophets of Baal to a kind of a duel, going to Mount Carmel, which was traditionally Baal's home turf, building two altars with sacrifices on them, but not lighting them, and then each praying to their respective gods to call down fire on the, on the altar. And whoever's God called fire down or sent fire down was the true God. Well, people from all over Israel were there. They were watching the spectacle, eager to see what would happen. The prophets of Baal went first, all 450 of them. They're dancing, they're cutting themselves, they're crying out to Baal, but nothing happened. No fire, no nothing. So then Elijah built his altar, and he pours gallons and gallons of water over it. And rather than dancing or chanting, he simply prays. And he prays, asks that Yahweh, the God of Israel, would make himself known by the sending down of fire. And immediately fire falls and consumes the entire altar, stones, water, and everything. And all the people there watching, they seize these false prophets of Baal, and there Elijah puts them to death. And on top of that, within hours, the drought ended, and the rain fell, and there was no question which God it was that allowed this to happen. It's about as decisive a victory as you can imagine. So it's a surprise, then, when Elijah, the mighty prophet, suddenly becomes Elijah the fearful, running for his life into the wilderness. What a difference a simple messenger makes. There are two messengers in our story, and they both have profound effects on Elijah. And in case you remember, you're struggling to remember the second messenger, the first one is the messenger that Jezebel sends, threatening his death, the second is what our translations call an angel in the desert. If, if you remember, neither Greek nor Hebrew have a dedicated word for angel. So anytime you see angel in the Bible, the word under that simply is messenger. And some messengers are just human messengers, and some messengers are divine messengers. And in English, we make different words for that, but in the Bible, those aren't there. So that first messenger is from Jezebel, conveying the fury of the queen as she vows to do to Elijah what he just did to her prophets. The second is a messenger from God, bringing not threats but sustenance, bread and water for a man completely spent, collapsed in the wilderness with nothing left to give. One messenger sends Elijah running to his death in the wilderness. The other gives him the strength to make it to the mountain of God. What a difference a messenger makes. Without receiving that messenger from God in the wilderness, Elijah had nothing left to give. He had nothing to eat, nothing to drink. He didn't have a will to go on. Had he had his way, he would have just laid there 
and died under that broom tree. But God's messenger comes and wakes him up and provides for him bread and water and sustenance. And Elijah goes back to sleep. And so the messenger comes again and and wakes Elijah up and provides bread and water and sustenance and delivers a message that you're right, the way is too much for you. So take and eat. And Elijah is able to make it in the strength of that eating all the way to his appointment with God on the mountain. We have desert times as well. They're maybe not as dramatic as Elijah's. Maybe not often are we actually out in a wilderness laying under a broom tree lamenting our life. Although perhaps it's happened for you. But we have other wilderness times that are with us in our everyday lives. Times when we have lost someone close to us. Times when we have failed someone that we care for. Times when our own future seems so in doubt that it's hard to work up the motivation to try and do anything about it. This time of year can be particularly hard in these wilderness times, these desert times, as we approach holidays and remember those people that won't be there with us for these holidays. As the light uh, gets dimmer, the sun goes down earlier, it gets darker, and we spend more of our time indoors. It can be a struggle like Elijah just to get up to wake up, even to eat and to drink. And when you hear reports on the news day in and day out about terrorist attacks and violence and wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and on and on, it becomes wearing. It makes us weary. And we wonder if God should not just take us. We're no better than our ancestors. But God sends messengers. This is what God does. God sends messengers into our wilderness. Messengers with maybe just a bit of bread, a little bit of water, a bit of sustenance, a word from God, even if that word's not quite what we want to hear. You're right, it is too much for you. But God does not abandon us in that wilderness, but sends messengers, sends saints. And if you think back on your desert times, on your wilderness times, I bet you can identify one or two of those messengers who helped you to get through, who motivated you to get up out of bed in the morning, who comforted you in your sadness. Today we're observing All Saints Sunday. This is the day when we remember and give thanks for all of these saints, famous or ordinary, who have gone before us. We give thanks for those who have been God's messengers, God's angels, to us, reminding us of who we are, of who God is, keeping us rooted in that promise that God has for us. These saints may be famous saints of old like Peter or Mary or Martin, or they may be the ordinary saints who raised us, who taught us, who cared for us, parents and grandparents, friends and neighbors, caretakers and servers, even strangers fellow members of the congregation. Whether they know it or not, they are messengers sent to you by a God who cares for you, a God who does not wish for you to languish forever in your desert place, but sends messengers to sustain you. Every word of grace, every act of love, every voice of correction was a gift 
from God to you through God's saints. And today we give thanks for them. Of course, the reverse is also true, for you too are one of God's saints. You too are a deliverer of God's messages. And even as you sit here considering, thinking of who God's messengers to you have been, others may be thinking of you and the way that you have communicated God's love and grace to them, sustaining them in their wilderness. It's truly a marvelous thing to be a part of God's communion of saints. So let me, right now, right here, be a messenger of God to you as you struggle through whatever wilderness it is that is sapping your strength. The journey is too much for you. You cannot do it alone. But God has not abandoned you. The Almighty has not forgotten you, but is even now providing for you everything that you need. So get up and eat. Come to the table and feed on the promise. Receive Jesus Christ in bread, wine, and word. Because that which you lack, God is providing. No matter the loneliness you feel, you are not alone. God has surrounded you with a great cloud of witnesses, a host of messengers, a communion of saints. You belong to Jesus Christ, and he will not let you go. Amen.